0: Well, it's certainly been, uh, as Pastor Jonathan said, um, a really difficult week in the life of uh, our university as the campus pastor uh, at Liberty. Uh, I, I have to look back at the six years that I've been here and see it as a, thank you so much. Hey, can we thank all the people that serve us who come way early and put stuff like that? Thank you, buddy. That's so kind of you. Um, yeah, I think in the six years that I've been here, and I know some of y'all have been here a lot longer than six years. Some of y'all remember when this place was nothing but vision and duct tape, you know, and uh, this sanctuary didn't exist. And uh, some of you remember when uh, Thomas Road was, you know, about five miles down the road or three miles down the road and you are a stakeholder, uh, especially the early service typically has the stakeholders that come, you know. You guys tithe so all the college kids can come, all right. So uh, I remember uh, just being here six years ago, meeting people that tell me stories of how this place began with just an obedient man who just began to walk in Christ likeness and began to speak out in faith, what God wanted. And um, I don't pretend to know all those stories. I hear from people like Lou Weider how he would be in a meeting and someone would walk in the room and go, "There's 11 of you and there's 13 chairs. Why don't we? Can we take these two chairs so that we can sell them just to try to make payroll?" And those are the days where this place was. Um, Just beginning, and God then began to to bless this place, and um, at the end of the day, I got to say, what I always think about as a member of this church, Pastor Jonathan, is that um, Liberty University started out of a Sunday school class of Thomas Road Baptist Church, and today it continues to just be a university in the parking lot of a church, I know it feels like, wow, the parking lot's a lot bigger than the church, and maybe physically that's true. Maybe uh, the, the budget might be much bigger. Maybe the staff size might be much bigger, but at the end of the day, this was God's idea given to God's visionary to be birthed out of a local church, which is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. God's plan A was to reach the world through the bride, the church, and, and I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of all the things that have brought us to this moment, but I've been here in six years now. And in the six years I've been here, I don't know of a more difficult week to navigate through than coming into the very first week of a new year in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of so much uncertainty, so many of our students walking into this moment out of the trauma of loss and financial stress, and mental health, you know, issues, and physical issues, and immune deficiencies, and just walking in, and in the middle of all that, uh, just dealing with so much that we're dealing with right now, even in leadership. And in the middle of all that uncertainty, I don't know how you deal with it in your own space, but I tend to really lean on songs. (laughs) I don't know how it is for you, but um, I just tend to preach to myself songs, and when I go through a really, really difficult time, I think that's why David always went to the Psalms, and that's why he gave us so many things that, that felt musical. Because music is, you know, Velcro to the soul, right? It just kind of sticks to you. You can memorize Scripture through music fast. You can do, and and, and moments like this, I, I tend to really gravitate towards songs. And uh, the song that we just sang has been on repeat for me since Friday night. I woke up at like two fifty eight in the morning on Friday night. And um, as soon as I woke up, I started singing in, in my head. I, I literally woke up singing, you know, sin is strong, shame is great, but Jesus is greater. And I, and I kind of started singing it and I couldn't even remember what song it was. I, I think five years ago when this song first came out, it became a big song we were singing, but soon we like learned new songs and moved on. And so I, I literally... Grabbed my phone, laying in bed at three in the morning, and started looking up the song. I put the lyrics that I remembered, and it was this song, "Brace uh, to Life." And I didn't even have it downloaded on my phone. And I grabbed my headphones. I don't know if you ever wake up in the middle of the night and just, you know, start looking at your phone. You're not supposed to, all right? But you know, I did. And I put my headphones in and downloaded the song and I listened to it. And as I was listening to it, I fell back asleep. Just, honestly, I think soothed and lullabied by the reality. of, of this truth, that sin is heavy, sin is strong, shame is heavy, shame comes at you, but Jesus is greater than any of it. And I fell asleep, I think, comforted in that, not knowing that my phone had put that song on repeat. And I think for like three hours, I just listened to the same song over and over and over again. I woke up and I Uh, I think at five in the morning, uh, sent an an email to Scott Bowman and to, to, you know, uh, Charles uh, Billingsley. And I said, hey, guys, I've just been listening to this song over and over again. And I know it's last second. Can I just throw this on, you know, the menu for this morning? Because I feel like God wants us to kind of gravitate towards this bridge. And and, and to just kind of study and remember these three biblical truths. And and they're simply this, and they they graciously said yes, and that's why we sang it, and we'll come back in just a minute and sing it again. But it's so good in moments like this to, to remember these three things, that sin is strong. If you're taking notes, that'll be the three points today. That sin is strong, and that shame is great, but that Jesus is even greater. I think a lot of times we don't wanna give sin and shame credit because we think that if we give sin and grace credit, that that looks like we are a people who have a lack of faith about the greatness of our God. And what happens is the enemy loves it When we discount shame and we discount sin and we put it on the corner and say, you know, I don't want to really really give it a lot of attention, put a spotlight on it, certainly not elevate it to a place where people will go, wow, I'm overwhelmed with it because it just feels like such a downer. But the problem with that is that Jesus constantly talked about sin. And the Bible is explicitly clear about shame. And what God wants us, I think, this morning to do is to not discount shame and not discount sin, but to make it what it is, great and strong. But yet at the same time, not at the cost of saying that Jesus is stronger and greater. And so we're gonna study that. Uh, Just a sermon I wrote yesterday afternoon on my back porch about these three things. Point number one. Sin is strong. Let's just define sin together. Sin is the missing of the mark or the going beyond the boundaries or limits set by God. That's what sin is. Sin is when we take God's standard and we miss it. It might be um, premeditated. It might be very meditated. That's where we get sins and transgressions. Some of them is, hey, I didn't mean to stumble, but then I did. And the other one is, I meant everything that I was doing, and it was intentional. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, there are times in my life when I'm committing a sin, and it's just at that moment, I I didn't trust God. Sin is always rooted in, in disbelief, in God and His promises. And so, I took the bait, that the enemy had or something happened and I didn't mean to stumble, but I did. And then there are other times when I know right now that I'm planning to sin and it's premeditated. And I walk into it with every intention to break the heart of God. And so whether it is intended or unintended, whether it is premeditated or just walking into the moment and failing, sin at its core is missing the mark or going beyond the boundaries or limits set by God. By the way, in this country, we don't like the idea of boundaries and limits. We're a people of freedom, but anything without boundaries and limits falls apart. Does a family fall apart without boundaries and limits? Does a river get to be a river does a, does a, does a, does a, without banks that hold it together? And so boundaries and limits are the love of God, right? Bringing us. These boundaries, these places that that hold society together, but beyond that hold believers together. And so sin is missing the mark or going beyond the boundaries or limits set by God. Romans 6.23 obviously tells us that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so sin isn't just missing a mark. It's missing a mark with a consequence. Sin isn't just going beyond God's boundaries. God's holy, righteous, set-apart, perfect boundaries, when they are not met, when they are violated, result in death. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.1 that you and I are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And so, sin results in death. Death. I think a lot of us We think about that and we think, wow, that's pretty drastic. You know, the idea of sin resulting in death. And we certainly are good about attaching that idea to an Osama bin Laden who took the lives of thousands of people on September 11th. We certainly are good about attaching that, that sin is death when it comes to a Hitler who took six million innocent Jewish people and took their lives through the Holocaust. We certainly don't mind attaching that to something that's very sensational in the life of someone on a headline or anything else. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's you and I putting ourselves on a different scale than God does. Our standards are different than God's. And in God's standard, in God's standard, sin results in death. Let me ask you a question. If I went to a morgue, if you, Went to a morgue. I know it's a weird illustration, all right? But if you went into a morgue one day and um, you they had two drawers that had bodies in them, and you pull out the first drawer and it is um, a beautiful, precious, elderly person that had passed away five or six hours before. The people that love this elderly person had put perfume on this person, had fixed her hair, had put a beautiful gown on her. She took her last breath, walked into eternity, and she looks precious. You you open up this drawer and everything but life is there, but there's nothing but the smell of perfume, nothing but the beauty of a gown, nothing but the sweetness of this person that lived a life, and then you just think, finished well. And so that's a drawer, and what you have there is a person that is just, Just eloquently laying there in a body that's not breathing. And then you go right beside it and you pull another drawer and it's a trash bag. And it's got a tag on it and it's got a name on it. And you ask the the guy that works there, what is this? And he says, well, that's the remains of a body. This man went hunting last year. And when he went hunting last year, he never came home. And so some people thought he had left and he'd gone away. Or some people thought he'd maybe died, but it had snowed and they couldn't find his body. And believe it or not, seven months later... They finally one day stumbled into his remains. They had to get dental records to figure out that he was even him because the animals had gotten to his body. And so this is the few remnants of a body. And so you got two drawers opened up. Can I just ask you, which one is dead? Which one is dead? I know we're in the South. Which one's dead, y'all? <laughs> Both, right? Which one is more dead? Which one is less dead? Is the one that's perfumed and clean any less dead or any more dead the one that the one that's in a garbage bag? No. Dead is dead. Say dead. dead. I know I'm still in the South because y'all go dead. Say dead. 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 Dead is dead, y'all. I'm just telling you. It doesn't matter whether it's cleaned up or not. In the economy of God, one sin is mortal, beloved, And so you and I look, and the way that the world works, and the way the world works is, you know, you you violate one law, like speeding, and it costs you a ticket. You violate another law, murder, and it costs you years and years, if not the rest of your life, in prison. And sure, that should be the way things work out in this world, right? If I said, I'm so sorry I was late this morning, Pastor Jonathan, on my way to church, the reason I was late is I got a speeding ticket, Jonathan would go, you know, man, bro, I'm so sorry, like don't speed, you know, be careful. Did you, maybe I'll know the cop. Maybe I can help you out. You know, that, that would probably be our conversation in the green room. He'll probably tell me as my pastor, you know, like, be careful not to speed. People are watching your life. They know you, Nasser. Be careful, whatever, right? So that would be about it. But he wouldn't go, you're not going to preach for me today because you just disqualified yourself from this pulpit because you got a speeding ticket. He's probably gotten some speeding tickets himself. All right, so I'm just saying, if I got a speeding ticket, he wouldn't disqualify me. But if I said, I'm so sorry I was late, Pastor Jonathan, he said, why? And I said, because I got in a fist fight. This guy got all in my grill when I was giving getting gas and he was rude to me. So I just punched this guy. And when I mean I'm just telling you, like, and I just I, mean, I hit him from behind and I kicked him a few times. Then I got in the car and I drove here. And I hope no one saw it on a GoPro. Oh no one got their phones out. I wouldn't be on this pulpit today. Right? Because Jonathan would say, I think we've got bigger issues. I think you need to preach to yourself a whole lot more than you need to preach to my people right now. Why? Because he has a different standard, and it's rightfully so. Certain things disqualify you from certain positions, but in the economy of God, in the eternal scope, one drop of sin is more than enough, and it's not just action. See, the Jewish uh, you know, law lovers, the, the Galatians the, and the people that were, I mean, I mean the, the, the Pharisees, they, they always came to Jesus with the idea of adultery is sin. And Jesus comes in and says, wow, you think it's about the Jewish law? He comes in with the newish law. How you like them apples? Because the newish law is if in your heart you commit adultery, it's the same in the standard of God that if you've actually committed the act. And so in God's economy, sin is death. And we've all sinned, the Bible says, and what? Fall short to the glory of God. Man, this is a heavy reality that sin is strong. But it's a heavy reality that we need to talk about. Because when we talk about sin and we don't skirt the issue, we're actually talking in love. Uh, Martin Luther said, the recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. Real quick. Two primary distinctives of sin we gotta understand. Number one, original sin. Original sin has, is the definition uh, of how sin has been with us all along. If we take a notes, this is how I would define it, all right? Sin has been with us from the beginning of time, has been with us from the beginning of every moment that we've existed. Uh, original sin is about duration. You and I are born with a sinful nature, an Adamic nature. Romans 5.12 tells us that that sin entered through Adam and that hope entered through Jesus. So what Adam broke in the garden, what Adam broke in the garden, Jesus came to fix. Amen? But what does that mean? That means in the garden. There was the original sin, and when that original sin came, he was our proxy. He signed for all of us that we are all sinners. By the way, if you're going, why do I have to put up with Adam's sin? If Adam hadn't sinned, I would have done it for the rest of us, y'all. It would have been on me, I would have done it. If it would have been on Pastor Jonathan, he would have done it, because we've all sinned. And so, all that shows is that we're born in this world sinners. Have you ever noticed how um, we like to clean up the idea of children and their sinful nature. We like to use illustrations. I, I remember we had a church member one time. We did a children's rally. She came out and she said, um, here you are born in this world. And she had this clean, clean bowl of uh, you know, water and everybody could see it. And she goes, you're born uh, undefiled by this world and you're just amazing when you're a baby. And, and then she starts putting in different sins. And as the water's getting soiled, you know, she's saying, then you do this. And then you, there's jealousy. And then there's, you know, um, you know, gossip. And then there's this and this. And then the water's getting nastier and nastier. And then she threw in this, like, Jesus this cross thing. And then the water clarified. And everybody was like, <gasps> and I was like, that's not biblical <laughs> because we're not born clean. We're not born pure. We're not born perfect. No one ever had to teach us how to sin, beloved. My sister is a member here as well. She runs the MK program. And, and you, you got to meet my sister. Man, I'm just telling you, she's by far the most conservative Nasser in the family, you know, in so many different ways. Benji was like the charismatic. I was like the, the weird gypsy. All right. And Nastinka is like the deep thinker, very, very conservative. Uh, Nastika like, doesn't really have a TV in her house. Uh, she doesn't really enjoy, like, she reads all day. Like, she's just about Amish, y'all. I'm just telling you. Right? She's incredibly conservative. And, and she, when she, she was raising her kids, it was the same. She raised her kids in, in a very sheltered environment. I say that, I don't say that as a bad thing. It, you know, people go, Are you raising your kids in a sheltered environment? I'm like, What, what are you going to accuse me of next? Feeding him and loving him? Of course, I want to shelter my kids. But she, she raised them incredibly conservative. And Emmanuel, her son, I'll never forget, when he was about two, two and a half years old one day, was with me. And Emmanuel wasn't just raised conservative, like, in, in the ways of the Lord. She is, like, organic. She doesn't eat sugar. She's just, I mean, honestly, honestly, it's exhausting sometimes. All right, so, it's just, so, so I had Emmanuel with me, and we were going to church, and he had spent some time with us. And Emmanuel had his cute little church outfit on and uh, he was in the back of the car I go to get gas and while I'm getting gas I I noticed that like the gas uh, thing that you put the credit card wasn't working so I ran in and at the counter I saw there were some M&M's and I thought I'm gonna get Emmanuel some M&M's before church because his mom would never allow it and I'm the uncle so I get these M&Ms, I put them in my pocket, I get the gas, I get in there. And as soon as I get in there, I look at Emmanuel, he's sitting back there, probably memorizing Leviticus as a two and a half year old or whatever he was doing. you know. And I said, I said hey buddy, I said, do you, want some, do you want some M&Ms? And he looked at me like, what are these? And I said, this is chocolate. And he goes, I said, okay buddy, but I'm not gonna give them to you until after church. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go ahead and give them to you, okay? So I, I went ahead and gave him the bag. And I said, "But don't eat them until we get to church." Do you know what it takes for a little two-year-old to have M&Ms in his hand and to stare at them? And so I'm going the long way to church because I'm just looking in the rearview mirror. And sure enough, that little boy opened up that thing, took one M&M, took another M&M, took another M&M, and a kid who hadn't had sugar—he's like, ah, you know, he, I mean, he's just—and so, so I, all of a sudden, I look in the rearview mirror, and he's basically got an M&M mustache. <laughs> a chocolate mustache, and I go, em- Emmanuel, I mean, he is named after our Lord. <laughs> I said, Emmanuel, are you eating M&Ms? And he looked right up at me, and he goes, mm he was a liar, <laughs> and no one had to teach him how to lie. Now, I helped, but that's beside the point. <laughs> No one has to teach a little girl, today you're going to wear a red dress and tell everybody it's a blue dress. That's a lie. Every bit of sin is inside all of us. And I know no one wants to think that about their precious little grandchildren. No one wants to think that about their their kiddos. I just found out yesterday I'm going to be a granddad. I can't wait to be a granddad. I can't wait to walk around with my grandchild. But let me tell you what my son and my daughter-in-law are about to deliver into this world. A little me monster. A little sinner who needs salvation, amen? And so, original sin is this reality that we are born in this world with a sinful nature. John Wesley says this, no man, no man loves God by nature any more than he does of stone or the earth he treads upon. What we love, we delight in, but no man naturally delights in God. We are hardwired against it by nature. So, Original sin is about the duration of sin in our lives. It's been with us all along. Second thing, total depravity. Total depravity. Total depravity isn't nearly as much about, you know, um, the, the, the amount as much as the access. Here's the way we define it. Total depravity is sin touches the totality of every single thing in our being. Total depravity is not about you and I being totally bad, but totally vulnerable Not the depth of our sin, but the scope of our sin. The reality that sin has an all-access pass and makes itself home. So, in original sin, we realize it's been with us all along. In total depravity, we realize it's not just been with us all along and hanging out in, like, the entertainment room only. No, it's been with us all along, and it has made itself home in every aspect of your life. You can't go, I'm going to be ungodly at work, but then be, like, really, really godly at church. If you're compartmentalizing yourself, I want you to know that that might look like that in behavior modification, but in identity, it has made itself into every aspect of your life. Sin has its fangs in every single thing, it has its fangs in your soul, in your thoughts, in your mouth, in your eyes, in every part of you. Sin is strong, brothers and sisters. Do not underestimate the strength and the power of sin. The enemy wants us to discount it, the enemy wants us to not talk about it, because that's how the enemy works. He says, if they don't even acknowledge there's a war going on, they won't ever wage battle against it. Why put on an armor if we don't think it's a real war? And that's how the enemy works. The enemy works by saying, sin is not a big issue. Let's not talk about it. If someone is sinning, that could be their definition. But if someone says it's not sin, that can be another definition. Let's just love each other and let's not cast that towards one another. But it is love talking, brothers and sisters, when we say sin is real. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon about total depravity. He says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you can't detect it, you are deceived. So point number one, sin is great and strong. And point number two, shame is great. Let me define shame for us. I know you're hearing that and you're going, how is shame great? Uh, Let me explain, all right? Shame is great because shame is the conscience acknowledging sin. Every time sin happens, unless you have seared your conscience, like Paul talks about in 1 Timothy, unless you've broken it, you've you've so abused it that you've seared it. But for most of us, we're not there yet. Something made in the image of God with a soul breathed into us when God made us gives us this thing called the conscience. And our conscience allows us to go every time we commit a sin, it comes, it comes with shame. It comes with this revelation. It comes with our conscience alerting ourselves that we have violated God, that we have missed the mark, that we have overstepped the boundaries. And the reason that shame is great, both greatly horrific and, and also greatly holy, greatly a gift and greatly a curse, is that God uses shame to convict. God uses shame to convict, but the enemy uses sin—I mean, shame—to condemn. See, like every time—I don't know about you—but every time, um, and I'm not immune to it as a believer. I'm immune to it in the eternal scope, but I'm not immune to it in the immediate scope. Every time I sin. Every time I commit a sin, and I I, I tend to do that a lot, I'm kind of a professional sinner. Anybody else with me? You know, it's not like, wow, I don't know. I'm a saint by nature. I'm justified by Christ. But in the process of sanctification, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And so I'm not batting a 1,000 ever. The one thing I'm consistent in is being inconsistent. Anybody else with me on that? And I'm trying and I'm passionately pursuing and I ought to be growing and I'm not saying that all of us do it and so everything goes in the same bucket. It doesn't have this, but I'm just saying as much as that's true, every time I sin, the enemy lies to me and says, condemnation he says shame on you you think you're a christian you're the pastor of all these people and you just thought that about that person you're the pastor and you just gossip you're the pastor and you just did this you're the husband of this woman and you just had that kind of attitude towards her you just snapped at her what kind of a christian are you every time we sin drags in drags in right condemnation. The enemy's just shouting condemnation. And you know what his purpose in that is? He wants you in condemnation to be ashamed and to go hide. We saw it in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve commit the first sin, disbelief that God has everything for them. And as soon as they do it, what do they do? They go and hide. Because shame, when it's, convi- con- when it's con- you know, condemnation, brings the idea of separation. As a matter of fact, that's one of the most dangerous things about shame. Shame tells you, I know this is wrong, so you know what I'm not gonna do? I'm not gonna expose it. If I, if I expose it, people are gonna go, shame on you. People are gonna go, this is horrific. People are gonna judge me. I won't be able to go to Target. And people are gonna stare at me and not point at me and laugh at me. And, and all of that is just completely being shouted at you. And so what the enemy does with shame is the enemy says, hide it. Don't bring it to light. The last thing you need to do is find community. The last thing you need to do is confess it to one another. The last thing you need to do is be honest. Everything about the work of the enemy in shame is condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. But everything about the work of the Savior in shame is conviction. Conviction is very different than condemnation because conviction says, let's bring it to light. The conviction says, let's let's bring it because the light is where there's the antiseptic healing power of the gospel. And so God looks at shame and he doesn't see it as a curse. He sees it as the way he hardwired us and he says, I gave you shame. As a matter of fact, some people have broken their shameness because they've forgotten. I love this passage. This is such a timely passage for us. Paul says in Philippians 3.18, for as I've often told you before and not, now tell you again, even with tears. Let me just stop right there. Can I just say this to you? Look at me. I've learned a lot of things in the last few weeks about a lot of people. I've learned a lot of things in the last few weeks about a lot of people. And I'm not just talking about like the headline. I'm talking about the sub lines the fine print. I've learned a lot about people that are basking and celebrating in someone's sin. Paul's posture here is not high five, look at that sin, look at that shame, let's cancel, let's yell, let's scream, let's get on the internet and make sure we ask every, Paul's posture is a posture of brokenness. He says, it is with tears, it is with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. When I find out that people, when it's exposed to me that people are breaking the heart of God, it's breaking my heart and I'm not celebrating that they've been outed, I'm just broken hearted. Then he says, their destiny is destruction. That's love talking. That's a real evaluation of someone who does not have the the blood of Jesus having covered them. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. You want the definition of someone who's not living for God? They begin to buy the enemy's lies about shame, of hide it, don't bring it to light, just play around with it, cover it up, and then eventually one day, they get to where they don't even, they've been doing this so long, it's seared in their conscience. They don't even know when they've sinned. They're looking around going, what, what did I do? Their mind is set on earthly things. And so our posture for it must be accountability and brokenness, not condemnation. And last point. We're gonna sing the last point. As overwhelming as sin is, and as overwhelming as shame is, Look at me, brothers and sisters. Jesus has it covered. He's more overwhelming. He's stronger. It's worse than you think, but it's also better than you think. We lose battles in sin, but we don't lose the war because we've already won it because we know how it ends. I love the very next verse. Paul says that, right, in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, and then in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, he says, but, praise God for these little but moments in scripture, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious Maybe the application for you today is, as a believer, you're saying, you know, I've been buying the enemy's lies of hide, get away from community, distance yourself. And maybe the very next practical step needs to be, I just need to start going to community group again. I need to start finding some armor bears that I can and begin to really trust again. But maybe, just maybe today, you're hearing this and you're saying, wow, I don't know if I'm truly covered because I've got the sin part down and I've got the shame part down. But you know what? I don't have the, but God has come to rescue me because I have salvation. And if you've never come to that, can I just say this? All the grace we're singing about, all the compassion we're singing about, all the hope we're singing about, all the race to life we're singing about is not offered to you until you bring yourself to the foot of the cross and you say, this sin is too strong. I don't have it covered, but you can. I can't, but you can. Amen? And so can we just pray together just for a second? And just with your heads bowed, can I just ask you today a really simple question? First and foremost, have you ever truly given your life to Christ? Have you ever come to the end of yourself and said sin is strong and I'm not gonna compare myself with someone else and say I didn't do that or I didn't do that. I'm just gonna see, God, that I'm a... I'm a wretched sinner in need of a mighty savior. And I'm coming to you this morning to say, God, I belong to you or I haven't belonged to you yet. And if you've never brought your life to him, could it be that today God is not bringing you here to hear a sermon, but to receive truth and to apply the redemption that we sang about from God's word into your own life, not just to celebrate the idea, but to submit to it. The thing about it is that lost people who are completely overwhelmed by their sin, completely owned by the enemy, act like they're lost because they're lost. They're actually the ones with the valid excuse. They're actually the ones who say, I don't have the power in my own, so I've just even quit fighting it. But could it be that God's people today are hearing that and you're saying, Man, I, I, maybe someone today needs to give their life to Christ, but I'm God's person. I'm a believer, but I haven't been living believable. My life is breaking the heart of God as a believer. I'm just prodigal. I'm a child, but I'm prodigal. And I just need to come home. And I need to be reminded of the identity that was given to me at the foot of the cross. And so if that's you, then we're gonna pray as well. So let me just pray for us. Jesus, I pray right now for the one in this room who needs to give their life to you, that they wouldn't come and clean up their act. They would come and give up their life if they've never given their life to you, that they would come and and bring themselves to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you paid it all. Every sin I've ever committed, every sin I'm ever gonna commit, I'm bringing my life to you. I belong to you. You're the son of God. You lived the perfect life. You died a sinner's death. I receive your death on the cross as my only hope for cleansing and salvation. I don't want to just come to the end of myself, raised to life. I want to walk in newness of life and live resurrection power. And also, Jesus, I pray right now for the the brother or sister in this room who's a Christian but has not been living in obedience, has been consistently, God, walking away from you, that you would quicken their heart today and realize that they would realize that this conviction here, not condemnation, for anyone who's in Christ Jesus, that they would come home rather than fighting, God, they would just come to sweet surrender. Blessed assurance given to them. Amen. Let us stand together and pray and sing this song together. And if you did that, if you prayed today, a prayer of salvation or repentance, I know that our team would love to know after we're done at this gathering, you can come to the front. Our pastors will be here in the front. If you're watching on live stream, just click. There's a banner on the bottom, a bottom third banner. Just click on that, go to the website, let us know. We'd love to celebrate and walk alongside of you and help you grow in the next steps of that decision. Amen? Come on, let's sing this together. She was strong, but Jesus is stronger. Our shame was great, but Jesus, you're great. Thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ if you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.